Hello. This is episode one of a podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Dane. I didn't stand in line at the pharmacy for my daily dose, nor did I purchase a ticket for a cruise to retirement. Dreaming American is a coffin. Slave to living a worker bee in a box of indifference, not a loose grip on given circumstances, but pure unbridled indifference. Across the pond to dust off the life of leisure, siestas, and Mediterranean sun in abundance, or the indoor treat of downward spirals dressed in pretty lights and flowers. To be a master of none, dipping a timid toe on the edge of deep, dark waters. Briefly fascinated by the war below, but numbed by the haze above. There are honest men who work, whose wars are true and simple. But the crowd see these men as reflections, yet their mirrors are false and broken. I saw the road before me and swore I wanted to scream. At first in fear I walked it, just before the sleep. The guides urged me to sleepwalk into an empty ending, but I stood so still bleeding the truth of hard-worn trails. And I rushed off the wide road, blocking out the warnings of how every day I'd suffer not knowing where I'd slumber. Under sunshine-tricking masses, into warped concepts of peace, leisure-bearing comfort and regrets under its costumes. But of course it will be painful, the masses echo deep. Yet I saw a beauty that it will never fade in dark waters where I could drown. Of might and will and sacrifice that lead to a true faith. Where convictions bring true actions and existence carved from stone. To drive others to fight for a world that only brings them joy. Knowing they'll face the suffering and discomfort of the day. But with this hopeful service, pious choices might be made. And knowing this from dusk till dawn, I'll endure the pain. So keep your leisure in sunshine, and I'll take blood and rain. So that is the poem behind all of this. That is the inspiration for the name of the Instagram page. That is the inspiration for this podcast and all other content that is going to be released with the same name of Blood and Rain. Now the sort of story behind that poem. Three years ago, roughly fall of 2017, so about three and a half years ago, I had left a marketing job in Silicon Valley in tech, realizing that I had settled for some form of complacency. I had settled for the textbook. I had settled for the traditional route in order to be stable and moderately successful, and what that looked like was, oh, you'll be able to take some vacations, uh, you'll have a 401k, uh, you'll be able to get off work and afford as many silly IPAs at the bar after work as you want. 
And I realized that I had become a shell of myself. I realized that I had played everything so safe, and I looked around, and I realized this was just a product of the environment I had been thrown in. I started to deeply question where all the men were, because I was not seeing men of conviction. I was not seeing men pushing themselves to their greatest extent of growth in all aspects. I was not seeing men willing to put themselves in danger if the time came where that was needed. I wasn't seeing any of this, and I started to become deeply disenfranchised. I told myself that I wanted to build a life on my own terms and not on the terms of the 9 to 5, especially in a place like Silicon Valley, where the norm is being able to do laundry at your work or having food provided for you. Basically, spoon-feeding everything to you as if you were still living under your parents' roof or at a particular college and basically negating every instinct of a man. Every survival aspect of a man. Every aspect of willing of a man willing to put himself at risk for his greatest growth. I wasn't seeing any of that and I was started I started to become terrified that this was the norm surrounding me. And I began to ask myself what it was I wanted to do with my life. I had picked up doing Muay Thai in England where I had gone to acting school. In addition to this, I was a writer for quite a long time after I had a teacher in my sophomore year who taught me how to love to write. I had told myself at this time, I was only 22 years of age, that I could juggle this sort of 9 to 5 mindset with the marketing tech job and have these convictions of not being surrounded by men and not having an example for the type of man that I wanted to be. My father was, and still is, a prime example for many virtues of being a man, such as keeping one's word, um, basing themselves in logic, maintaining strong relationships, just being a man of honor in many aspects. But the core difference between my father and I is my father was rooted in tech and I was not, so I was not faulting him because he was living his conviction day in and day out within tech, but also pushing the pace and pushing the envelope like I had wanted to be. He wasn't taking a safe route within this world. But I was not passionate enough about tech in order to do such things. So I started to take a long, hard look at myself. And I decided that I would need to take a plunge away from the marketing job and I would need to struggle. I was actually seeking out financial struggle. I was seeking the opportunity to move out of my father's place. I was seeking the opportunity to grow from all circumstances requiring that I be at my best. So I stumbled upon a bouncer job at a nightclub, and I jumped at it. It was my first job that I had gotten completely on my own. And I started to 
go next door to a craft cocktail bar. And that's where I met a, uh, a very, very close friend of mine. Um, more formally, I had met him before, and him and I had discussed Muay Thai, and he asked me if I still train, and I said, yes, yes I do, I'm planning on going pro. And I quit my tech job in order to basically force myself to go after my goals with every ounce of my being. And he said, you and I should train sometime. I said, yes, we should. And him and I trained, and he saw my work ethic, and I said to him, you know, I want to be just like you. I want to be a high-level bartender. I'm going to go to bartending school so I can pay for my training and start saving. And he said, don't bother wasting your time. You're not going to learn anything in bartending school. Come work for me. You'll have to start at the bar back. But you're going to learn everything that I know and then some. And I said, okay. He threw me in the trial shift of a 200-person buyout. And he said, I told the other managers, I bet my job on this guy. Don't let me down. And at that point, I took a second. And I said to myself, I'm on the right track because this is exactly the kind of situations that I'm looking for. I feel asleep. I felt asleep for, tum- for some time. I felt asleep chasing stability for stability's sake and now I'm here and I'm being thrown in the deep end in aspects outside of fighting and I never looked back I became that bar's best bar back and I became the best bar back in the entire city I was told that I wouldn't be able to become a bartender for two years because of the training program and I said I'm going to do it in six months At this time, I was bouncing and barbacking seven days a week to make ends meet in a very expensive part of California. I did not have a car. I was having to run places. I was having to take a bus places. I was having to eat not the best food, but I was enjoying every second of it because I felt that I was beginning to live on the edge of myself. I was beginning to feel... Like, I'm starting to tap into this energy of the frontiersmen. I'm starting to tap into the energy of my ancestors. I'm starting to tap into the energy of the men that I read about and the men I admire. And I'm beginning to cultivate mental toughness. You can have all the technique in the world. And I was piecing together some very, very solid technique in Muay Thai. But I felt that I was missing the willingness to go to darker places, the more difficult places that a lot of these fighters who had come from much more poverty-struck backgrounds are traditionally willing to go to, and I was missing that, so I wanted that. This, on my part, was voluntary because I had the route for stability, and I said no. So I was bouncing and barbacking and living paycheck to paycheck, really making ends meet for the entire summer of 2017. And I was starving, and I was training Muay Thai very regularly. I was training weightlifting, uh, particularly in strongman and powerlifting style weightlifting regularly, while essentially starving. And it got to the point where 
just out of pure necessity, I hit every shift as a bar back as hard as I could. Because I needed to force the issue to become a bartender to make more money, to give myself more time and more stability in terms of financial stability in order to train, but not stability to the point where it sacrifices this sort of stress stimulus, this sort of mindset and this way of life itself. That was too much a cost. And this was a sort of happy medium somewhere in the middle. So it got to the point where the fall of 2017 came around. And I found out that one of the bartenders was leaving. So that meant a slot was open. And to train this high level of craft cocktail bartending, you need quite a bit of time uh, to get all these skills down and memorize 200 plus cocktails. So the program can take up to three months to five months. And I found out this bartender was leaving and I went up to the manager who hired me, my good friend, and the general manager. And I said, so-and-so is leaving. I want a spot. When am I going to get my shot? And they said, well, you have two barbacks ahead of you in the queue. And I said, I'm already better than both of those barbacks. I'm already the best barback in the city. I deserve this shot. When am I going to get my shot? And there was no denying me. They said, okay. You're the one showing this hunger? All right. So at this point, the money was beginning to improve as university students were back in the fall. The tips were getting better. I was managing my money better. I had signed a lease for a room. And I was able to start training uh, with an actual coach. I was able to start paying dues for a gym in a very expensive city, I might add once again, for a world-class coach. And I was absolutely overjoyed because I had trained with world-class coaches before, but I had just used my student loan money in school, so it was not something I had earned. I had scrounged to get to a point where I was in a place where I could afford such coaching. I had earned that. I had clawed tooth and nail for that. I had clawed tooth and nail for an opportunity to claw tooth and nail in something far more stressful. The only thing more stressful than combat sports is war. And that's why I would never call combat sport athletes warriors because they don't serve in actual wars. But it was as close as it gets. I was, I was clawing for an opportunity to claw. And I began training. And I began meditating. And I began feeling this essence, this essence of blood and rain. I would finish training and I would go to a coffee shop or I would go to the bar that I worked at and drink a mocktail or just drink water or whatever. And I would take notes on training and I would meditate on the past training. And I began to feel an essence. What I mean by essence if you read books by great actors or directors or samurai for that matter, especially Musashi in the Book of Five Rings, when you learn a skill set, when you learn especially a physical skill set, you learn the moves, you learn this is what this move is, this is a slash for example. You go through the motions. You have to consciously complete these movements. You have to consciously complete the movement of punch, per se. 
and you start to learn it in different contexts and you start to master the movement. You start to master the movement and all these other contexts on top of that. And over time, you get a better feel for the movement that goes beyond just proficiency. And as you approach skill mastery, as Busashi says, you learn the move's essences. When I was in drama school, I started to notice... When I was in drama school in England, rather, I might add, I was in a very disciplined British acting program. I was starting to meditate on the fact that with all this training, with all this trying to build toolboxes of different methods that would contribute towards building characters that are fully fleshed out, I started to realize that there was a rudiment that was even deeper. It was the essence. To truly know something is to be able to grasp its essence. That is the rawest rudiment imaginable. And this is what I became fascinated with in the tail end of my time in acting school in England. And this is what I was becoming fascinated with in martial arts. And I had realized, once again, that I had come across an essence in meditation. A certain philosophy. A certain mode of being. Blood and rain. The two words popped up in my head. And I began to scribble down some thoughts about blood and rain. And I would have discussions with several very enlightened human beings at coffee shops who were twice my age. They asked me, why are you doing all this? You're a good-looking guy. You're very smart. Why are you thrusting yourself in a life that most people would choose to get away from if they could? That if they had a different out out of poverty, aside from fighting or the life of a gangbanger or what have you, why are you choosing a life that many people are forced to have? And I said to them that this is truly authentic for myself. I said, I'm starting to uncover the essence of myself. And at that point in these conversations, these conversations that were also a discussion of, you truly don't see yourself getting married. And I'm engaged at this point in time, and I'm very happily engaged, but at the time, I foresaw myself being single for the rest of my life. I foresaw myself going the Musashi route. I foresaw myself being a world-class fighter and a Nobel Prize winner in literature. Those are my goals. And if I had met those, perhaps I would be a monk. Perhaps I'd be an orthodox monk. I didn't really have a game plan post-fight career. I just knew that I wanted to be an all-time great in fighting and in writing. And I explained this essence to them. And I explained that it's a poem, and that came to me in these conversations. I scribbled down some lines. And at this time, I was beginning my training to become a bartender. 
And by January of 2018, I was a fully-fledged bartender. And I had stability on my terms, financial stability and stability of schedule to further my training. And in the time of Easter of 2018, and by Easter I mean Pascha, my first Orthodox Pascha. I meditated further on this midnight service. And this poem had fully fleshed out to me. I did not know it line for line right then and there, but I knew that the poem was fully manifested. And I needed to write everything down as furiously as possible. One of my regulars as a bartender I found out was a professor of poetry at a local university. And he started to notice some interesting patterns that I had not noticed myself. He noticed that the bulk of the lines were in Shakespearean iambic pentameter. And I found that fascinating because I realized that there was a certain rhythm within this essence. That was a tandem with the technique that I had cultivated so long in drama school in England. What I also found really interesting in that is that every fighter needs his own rhythm. And my rhythm seemed to be rooted in my experience as an actor and my adoration for England and England's greatest man in William Shakespeare. And I looked at that poem and I realized this is a creed that had manifested in the right way. Now there are lines in there about sunshine almost being the villain and I don't look at sunshine as a villain. I lived in a very sunny place, and I adored the sun, and I still do adore the sun. What I didn't adore is the fact that the sun sort of contributed to this very leisurely nature of the people I was surrounded with. I wasn't seeing people who were living for purpose. I wasn't seeing people who were giving their last breath to become the the greatest version of themselves. I was seeing people who were not living for their vocations. I was seeing people who were living for the clock out. The people who were living for the after work. The weekend. Feeling weakened by a job they didn't truly feel was cohesive with their soul. And therefore feeling weakened and waiting for the weekend. That's why sunshine is somewhat vilified. Whereas you step out into a storm and it is in your face. The rain and the wind is in your face. That there is a war to fight. On a micro or a macro scale. And that when sunshine returns, you'll have earned it. You'll have earned it if you stayed true through your war. You'll have earned it if you did everything to overcome. You're screaming in agony, you're gripping granite until your hands bleed. With a smile on your face. Knowing that you're overcoming. Knowing that you're growing. Knowing that you're not settling for this mentality of, oh, I need more recovery, or, oh, I need... A, B, C, D, E, F, and G in order to have my best self. No. 
I'm in conditions that are not ideal. I'm in conditions that are harsh. And because of that, my greatest self will emerge. And when sunshine returns, those rays will beat down on my face, and that face wore a smile of fulfillment that I had not wavered, that I had not folded in the darkest of storms. That is the philosophy behind blood and rain. It is not anti-solar, it's the opposite. It's earning the solar. It's earning the right to be a quote-unquote solar king. So what to do with this podcast? Well, within this sphere of Instagram, I began seeing men of similar breed, similar age, who are also disenfranchised with the state of men, especially in the United States, that are taking the easy way out, that are taking the GMOs, that are taking the the, the paid vacations and not following any passions, they're not following any of their convictions. Creators like Forrest Munden and The Invincible Way and Flo Modus and The Golden One and Gallantry Fuel and Nature Chad and Soul Bra and so on and so forth. And many of them have their own lane within this sort of realm. You know, uh, Forrest Munden uh, has a pretty eclectic range of topics that I found very interesting in his Backbuilders podcast. Um, soul bras he styles himself as a physical spiritualist he's sort of this guru of recovery and wellness while maintaining traditional masculinity the invincible way feats of adaptability which I admire quite greatly but I have my own lane that I felt needed to be placed into a podcast And there is a wide range of topics that I've listed from martial arts in my pursuit of becoming a world-class martial artist, from writing, from vocal training, mastering your speaking voice for its utmost potential, spirituality and religion, identity, the deconstruction and reconstruction of identity. There's a very wide range of topics that I feel I have. And I know that I have a deep understanding of the core essences of. That I feel it is my duty to share and discuss, not only alone, but with the works of great men of the past. And in collaboration with surging content creators with similar minds. We will be seeing guests on this podcast as well. But I felt that it was imperative that I introduce myself. And you don't need to know from the get-go every stat of my background. Other people have started their podcasts with every stat about where they grew up and what they did and whatnot. I felt that the best introduction 
was to read you and explain to you that poem, that essence of Blood and Rain. And why I feel the need to begin this journey with all of you. It is the first week of January of the new year of 2021, and quite a wild year it's been already. Today's Christmas, if you're of the Orthodox faith, today's Christmas for my friends in Russia, for my friends in the Eastern Bloc. And this will be the first of likely 50 podcasts for this year. I plan to do one every Thursday if I have the material, if I feel there's something tugging at my soul that needs to be expressed in an extra podcast. There will be more than 50, but I guarantee you there will be at least 50 discussing discussing a wide range of topics, as I've mentioned before. To cap this podcast off, I have a number of questions that were submitted to my Instagram story. I mentioned a Q&A just to get things rolling. So we're going to dive right into those. First question comes all the way from Russia. And it is asking, what do I think of Josh Koscheck as an MMA fighter and his sense of humor? So Josh Koscheck is a classic iteration of a certain era's wrestle boxer and MMA comes from a high-level wrestling background and developed quite a solid overhand right. He is uh, an American Kickboxing Academy guy, which is a very storied program for mixed martial arts. What do I think of sense of humor? Well, I appreciate his uh, I appreciate his sense of humor, and I appreciate his skill set as an MMA fighter, and I appreciate that. He made this contribution towards personalities being celebrated in the sport and helping promote the sport. Uh, do I think he's an all-time great? No, I do not. And George St. Pierre uh, made that abundantly clear. And that goes into our next question, also coming from Russia. Who is my favorite MMA, MMA fighter and why? Now, my all-time favorite MMA fighter is George St. Pierre. Because he is the blueprint of MMA. If you want to tell someone what is the prototype of being a mixed martial artist, it's Georges St. Pierre. He's a world-class striker. He's a world-class grappler. He has phenomenal takedowns. He's the greatest shoot boxer that the sport has ever seen. And he lives his life like a samurai. He has increased his skill set every single year, training with the best in every discipline that MMA draws from. He's trained with Freddie Roach in boxing. In addition to his student Amir Khan, he's trained with the Donahue Death Squad for leg locking and jiu-jitsu. He's the pure embodiment of the samurai. Now, Georges St-Pierre is essentially retired, barring any Habib Nurmagomedov fight, but if I had to list my current favorite mixed martial artist, it'd be a very unpopular one in Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman has been labeled as boring, I just think that has to do with his dominance. He has an air of inevitability, his mind is strong, he flows well but is hyper-disciplined. He's phenomenal in scrambles, he has a control-based hybrid clinch game with stomps, 
and phenomenal knees and elbows, a la Henry Hooft, the striking coach down at Hard Knocks 365 in Florida. Everything that you could ask for a dominant MMA fighter to have, Kamaru Usman has, and I do not believe he's getting his due. Next question comes to the United States. Are the big three necessary? Now, if you're talking about the McGill Big Three for a warm-up, speaking of the bird dogs, the side planks, and the curl-ups, if you're a powerlifter, I would say it's a phenomenal warm-up. Um, it's a warm-up that's not going to stretch your body out too much. It's going to maintain the stiffness that's required for the highest performance of weightlifting and bodybuilding. If you're referring to the Big Three as the main core three power lifts that are the bench press, the deadlift, and the squat. Uh, that depends on what your goals are physically. If you're trying to be a power lifter, well, of course, those are going to be essential. For field sport athletes, I would say the big three could be very beneficial in an off-season bedrock phase where you're just building raw strength to then transfer in a different phase of training for more explosive weightlifting and then a preseason training where you're taking that power built from the explosive weightlifting and transferring it into plyometrics to power that you're going to see on the field. So, so in terms of investing in long-term power, drawing from long-term strength, those can be highly beneficial. Now take a football athlete, for example. Uh, the bench press is going to be Imperative, especially modifications, bed, bench press with chains, uh, explosive squats, box squats, those modifications. In terms of the deadlift, deadlifting straight from the ground too close to the season uh, can cause an athlete to be stiff. So you'll see variations like um, you'll see rack pulls, you'll see trap bar deadlifts, you'll see a trap bar deadlift with much lower weight into a jump. So the big three to answer, I would say that there is an application for the big three, for a very wide range of athlete and a very wide range of sort of physical enthusiasts who are looking to better themselves. The next question comes also from the United States, ties right into that, why should I seek to improve? Because if you don't seek to improve, you might as well be dead. If you're not seeking to improve, if you're looking to stagnate for the rest of your life, you are truly throwing yourself into a slumber. You're either improving or you're getting worse. There is no middle ground when it comes to this. You're either growing or you're deteriorating. That is the way of the world, plain and simple. Also coming from the United States, the philosophy behind my nutrition. Now. I have I've had nutrition advice from a wide range of sources. The best advice I recently received was from the Invincible Way. Credit to him. He said the best tandem of figuring out your own personal nutrition. Of course, you can send in DNA tests uh, to these companies that will have you spit in a tube and they will determine what is the optimum nutrition for you, what foods to avoid. But if you're wary of data collection as I am, the best advice I can give you is the blood type being the first sort of detail to take a look at and your ancestry. 
Now, me personally, I am an O negative blood type. My ancestry hails on my father's side to the Canary Islands in Spain with a Viking lineage before that, as well as Spanish Basque region in the north of Spain near the Pyrenees. And my mother is French Basque, also near the Pyrenees. Sicilian and Piedmontese, so the Italian Alps. And I started to do further research on my diet. I'll give you a prime example. I opted for sweet potatoes and potatoes, and I noticed that they were not digesting properly, and I was beginning to feel weakened. Now, an O-blood type thrives on meat. or It thrives on animal protein, so I eat pounds and pounds of steak. I eat pounds of liver. I eat pounds of fish with a lot of these, a lot of this lineage. Both my lineage comes from sort of mountain folk and islanders. So surf and turf has been a sort of core element of my diet. And I mean, any of them ate rice. I eat rice personally. Um, I can see rice not mixing well with others. But again, this was the food that my ancestors ate. I'm taking a look at my blood type and I'm taking a look at the food that my ancestors ate. So that is the best advice I can give you in terms of nutrition. That is the philosophy behind my nutrition. In terms of macronutrients, um, I sort of follow the Milos Sarsev route of being very, very liberal with protein. Milos Sarsev, for those of you who are not familiar, was a bodybuilder in the 1990s from Serbia. He created a phenomenal physique. However, in terms of competing with the mass monsters of Dorian Yates, Kevin Lerone, Sean Ray, or not necessarily Sean Ray, but Flex Wheeler, all these mass monsters. Milos was really a bodybuilder belonging in the 70s. But he became an expert in bodybuilding nutrition to the point where Nasser El Sambati, his main student, gained 30 pounds of muscle in an offseason to really threaten Dorian Yates' final year of grasping his sixth and final Olympia. Many feel that Nasser El Sambati was robbed. While I'm a large Dorian Yates fan, I would have to agree. So what is his, what is Milos Sharsev's uh, philosophy on macronutrients? He's very liberal, very, very liberal with protein. He believes in a balanced diet in terms of carbohydrates and fats. He believes there's a place for the keto or carnivore diet uh, in a cutting phase, but carbs are the primary source of explosion, the primary sort of fuel that you need with fats being a more stable fuel, and obviously proteins being the primary building block in addition to branched-chain amino acids. So I'm very liberal with my protein macronutrients. I have 350 grams of protein per day because... I am 215 at 6'1 while competing in Muay Thai. So I'm going to be quite a bit more liberal in that regard. The next question hails from America as well. A few traits that every man must have. Every man must have conviction without it. Man knows not where he is going, and he will be thrown into a vengeful, hedonistic, and self-loathing state. Every man must have strength. Without it, 
he's not able to get to the place that he feels convicted to go to. Every man must have virtue, or if not, this will chip away at his soul until he is no longer a man and he is just a ravenous beast seeking the blood of others. Every man must have flexibility in terms of having a loose grip on many ideologies, being able to prospect, being able to understand, being able to put himself in other shoes to understand the world around him. These are just few of the things off the top of my head. There is a plethora of, of traits that I feel every man should have, or at least every man should strive for. Every man should have passion. If he's not passionate about what he's doing, that's not a life to live. But as a counterbalance to that, every man should have discipline. Because if there are days where he is not passionate about something, that long term he is passionate about, regardless of what the day says, regardless of what the mood says, the discipline is there to override. Every man must be stoic. Every man must stare in the eyes of hardship and remain calm because fear is a mind killer every man must be anti-fragile what I mean by anti-fragile the opposite of fragile meaning not only resistant to pressure and randomness but adapts and grows with the opportunity that pressure and randomness have provided I'll leave it at that. I'm sure there are a number of traits that I'm forgetting, but off the top of my head, those are the ones that come to mind, and we'll discuss further traits and further podcasts. Next question comes from Russia. What kind of music do I like? Uh, that is a very, very big question. Music has been a very big part of my life for a very, very long time. If I had to pick one era of music, of one style, it would be grunge music from the 1990s, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, The Melvins, Malfunction, Green River, all these Seattle-based bands as I have this rain in the background. I use music for utility quite a bit of time, though. Quite a bit of the time, pardon I use a lot of synthwave for focus during work. That's sort of been my baseline is synthwave and classical slash impressionist or modern instrumental music. It gives space to the listener. There are no words to focus on to distract from the tasks at hand. For those of you who have seen my series on Instagram of charged particles, I, I wrote a little piece on charged particles, both negative and positive. Basically, positive charged particles are, in terms of music, are songs that have an abundance of positive energy to glide with and to sort of marinate on. And negative charged particles have an abundance of negative, harsh energy to sort of separate yourself from and resist against. Put yourself under immense pressure with headphones in your ears playing these negative charged particles while strength training 
or while meditating to build mental toughness. So I use a lot of music for utility in that regard. In terms of other genres, punk, uh, indie rock, a lot of 90s rap, a lot of UK rap, a lot of 80s synth, a lot of folk music. I have a very, very eclectic range of music, which I'm very proud of, and you'll see more of in a lot of the music series on the Blood and Rain Instagram, Telegram, and the Twitter soon to come. Another question coming from Russia. How do I feel about Mussolini? I don't feel anything about Mussolini. Uh, he was a dictator in Italy. He was trying to restore Italy to Roman times. I don't have enough knowledge on Mussolini, to be abundantly honest, to speak much more about that. I have a question here about semen retention. I am overcome with lust some days in an effort not to release. Do I have any advice on navigating this lust-filled state so I can continue this path of semen retention? In my younger years, I definitely spent days combating this state of lust in order to not relapse. Now, if you follow any of those, these other content creators I've spoken about, you'll see an advocation for semen retention, for a boost in testosterone, for a boost in focus, and I share the exact same opinion. I went celibate for four years by choice, and two of those years I went without releasing any semen whatsoever, and I can tell you it was unstoppable, in terms of productivity, rather. So there is a high, high benefit in semen retention. What worked for me, what got me away from these days where I'm doing nothing but combating lust, or I wouldn't even say combating lust, it sounds to me more like a state where you're overcome, and you're living in it, and you're doing everything to resist. Now, I would advise you to go on the offensive, to switch your mindset, as this is something to press and grow against violently. When you trap yourself mentally and you do not give yourself an out, when you sort of drown yourself in this need to either survive or relapse, you are able to tap into a very primal and aggressive and charged focus. To complete the things that you actually wish to complete to become the man that you want to become. This question came from Australia from a student of mine. A student who is beginning his first week of six months of physical transformation in terms of muscle building strength and Muay Thai proficiency. So shout out to Kai Webster at the Sunshine Coast of Australia. Thank you for the question, brother. And the final question today comes from Spain. What does it mean to be strong? <sighs> to be strong, you need to be strong physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. To be weak in any of these single aspects is to be weak in all of them. Now, what does that mean? That means you are constantly 
striving to be strong. You never own strength. You rent strength. That means you're going to make the strong choice physically every day to earn physical strength for the day. That is it. You're going to make the emotionally strong choices to be emotionally strong for the day. You're going to be making the choices spiritually and mentally strong to cultivate those aspects of strength for the day. You only earn it for the day. Mark Devine, a Navy SEAL who's written multiple books capturing the essence of the SEAL mindset, spoke about the Navy SEALs having a concept where you earn your trident daily. You don't earn your trident by getting through buzz. You earn your trident daily with your actions. And being strong is no different. You have to earn all four of those aspects. To only earn three is to not be strong for the day. That is the best advice I can give you for what it means to be strong. For all you listeners, thank you for being here. It is a pleasure to have you. I had no business doing a podcast like this. I have no mic. I had a general idea of reading a poem, and I had a general idea of speaking about it and answering some questions. Everything has been off the cuff, with the exception of the poem and the questions. And I'm very pleased with how it went. I was not going to sit around and wait. I was going to make the strong choice and go face first and take the plunge. I hope you've enjoyed it. We're going to be releasing podcasts every Thursday. There are some guests in the work, some guests who are, like I said before, like-minded content creators. And we're going to be discussing, like I said, a very wide range of topics in the weeks to come. We're going to be discussing martial arts, we're going to be discussing identity, we're going to be discussing strength. And I'm very much looking forward to it. So until next week, good night and good storms. Thank you.